0: Now, enjoy 10 of the creepiest things cops have seen on the job with the background sound of city rain. One, it saved my uncle's life by Era M. This story began over a decade ago. My uncle had been a police officer for nearly 30 years In that time, he will tell you, he has seen just about everything there is to see. Drug busts, domestic disturbances, car accidents. He even delivered a set of twins once in the parking lot of a Denny's. Crazy, right? He has hundreds of stories that would rattle even the most hardened horror fanatics, but the one I'm about to share with you is perhaps the strangest in his repertoire. I feel I must warn you, the story contains graphic content and is not for the faint of heart. In the year 2002, my uncle worked as a state patrol officer in southern Georgia. He frequently traveled those desolate two-lane highways between larger towns where the only signs of civilization were the occasional rest stops, truck weigh-in stations, and run down 7-Elevens that set off of every exit. During the time... Most of his calls revolved around vacationers traveling from up north to Florida who'd run into car trouble, a flat tire or overheated radiator, stuff of that nature. Most of his calls, as he described them, were uneventful. In August of 2002, all of that would change. It was just after a summer downpour, a little before sunset, when my uncle got the call that an 18-wheeler had hydroplaned and jackknifed into the pylon of an overpass. The accident had blocked traffic, and it was quickly backing up. My uncle was in the area and responded to the call. When he got there, he found the 18-wheeler in flames. The driver was still in the cabin, pinned behind the wheel and trapped by his seatbelt. He was struggling frantically, because the flames were crawling up over the crumpled hood and into the cabin with him. Now the police at the time had protocols that told them not to endanger themselves by rushing toward a flaming vehicle, but my uncle saw the man struggling and did it anyway. Minutes ticked by, and together my uncle and the man struggled with the seatbelt and the steering wheel, but neither would budge. Fire consumed the cabin, and it forced my uncle out of the cab. The man, still trapped, began to scream, pleading with my uncle to at least shoot him, so that he didn't have to burn to death. Legally, my uncle's hands were tied. Shooting the man meant essentially committing murder, but the man was screaming for mercy, begging my uncle not to let his wife have to view a charred corpse, as then she would know that he suffered a horrible, painful death. He didn't want the onlookers the people who had gotten out of their vehicles to stare horrified at what was going on to witness a man screaming and burning alive my uncle of course couldn't do it he couldn't stand by and let the trucker suffer protocols be damned he acted on instinct and pulled his gun from its holster the trucker whose pants and shirt were already going up in flames saw this and began to cry shouting his thanks and asking my uncle to hurry because he had never felt pain so bad. My uncle did as he requested. Now I could tell you all about the legal drama that went down after that, but that isn't the point of the story. Suffice to say, the trucker's wife refused to press charges, and held my uncle as an angel of mercy. I tell you that story to tell you this one. Ever since that day, my uncle said he never felt like he was totally alone. In his home, on the job, or wherever he went, he felt like there was someone with him. For years, he never gave a name to it, and often brushed it off as paranoia, stress, or lack of sleep. He's not the sort of man who believes in spirits or anything like it, so thoughts of the paranormal never occurred to him. That is until four years ago in November 2012. My uncle had retired from his job and taken up a hobby of running rental cars from dealerships to dealerships all across the southern U.S. He was usually on a deadline and these runs sometimes took place over long hours with little stops for rest in between. So on the longer trips he would ride with a partner. They could trade off when one got tired. But on this particular occasion his usual partner was ill and he couldn't make it. So, my uncle had to do the job alone. He could have declined the job, but due to a nasty divorce, he needed the money. The trip would take him from Miami, Florida to Louisville, Kentucky, upwards of 16 hours of drive time, not counting pit stops. It was going to be a rough ride, but my uncle had had worse in his day and figured he could do it without a problem. The first 14 hours of travel went without incident. But the drive wore on my uncle harder than he anticipated. Before he knew it, he was struggling to stay cognizant of what was going on around him. But the man was stubborn, and with only two hours left to go, he was determined to stick it out and get the car to its destination. My uncle still struggles to comprehend what happened next. He was sandwiched between two 18 wheeler trucks, one in front and one behind. The car he was driving was a little gray Ford Taurus, a car that is easily overlooked by big rigs. My uncle saw that the truck in front of him had slammed on the brakes. He intended to do the same, but, he says before he could move his foot from the gas pedal, that strange feeling of not being alone washed over him. It was stronger than ever before. He didn't know what caused him to do it, but he glanced over into the passenger seat next to him, fully expecting to see that it was empty as it had been since the beginning of the journey. But it wasn't. There seated next to him was a face he would never forget. It was the trucker he had killed years ago, his hands and face badly disfigured and charred by fire. My uncle was dumbstruck. He didn't know how it was possible and figured he was hallucinating because he was so exhausted. But the man shouted at him, And then reached for the steering wheel jerking it violently to the right out of my uncle's hands the car swerved just in time to miss the 18 wheeler in front of him just in time to get out of the way as the rig behind him crashed full speed into the now stopped semi my uncle ended up screeching to a halt halfway up the off-ramp being the ex-cop he was he felt compelled to get out of his car and check on the truckers The other trucker was white as a sheet when he climbed down out of his cabin. He was unhurt, thankfully, but insisted that he hadn't even known my uncle was in front of him. He asked my uncle again and again how he managed to get out of the way in time, but my uncle had no answer, at least no answer that would make any sense. Since that day, my uncle says he'd never felt that feeling again, and though he struggles to believe anything paranormal... He knows what he saw. He knows what happened. He knows he wasn't alone in the car that day. That was the day the ghost of a man my uncle killed in an act of mercy came back to repay the debt. Two. I have no idea what I saw. By Snowballs. I work as a police officer. I have been for a while now. I live in northern Europe. One evening, my partner and I were patrolling a dark little road. It was pretty quiet that night. Maybe one or two vehicles would pass by every ten minutes or so. We were driving around, and it was in the middle of a snowstorm. We were talking, enjoying some still steaming coffee we had picked up, when suddenly something crossed over the middle of the road in front of our vehicle something tall furry with a head that resembled a wolf what really bewildered me beyond that was the fact that it didn't cross on four legs i stopped the car and my partner asked did you see that yes i did i replied was was that a person it looked like it had something in its hands I shook my head. I didn't really know what to say. Should we go check it out, she continued. Being curious and stuck on a shift that was extremely slow, we decided to call it in. We walked toward the woods with our flashlights on and hands on our holsters, ready to draw our weapons at any time. We got pretty deep in. By then we saw blue flashing lights signaling that the other patrol car had arrived. We were a few hundred meters from the road when we found something. Honestly, I thought it was a tree at first, but then it turned to look at us. I saw its glowing yellow eyes, or maybe it was just reflecting our flashlights, and there was blood on its mouth. It did have something in its arm, a person. It let out a horrifying scream, Something that reminded me of a car spinning out of control. We were horrified, confused. We aimed at the creature who was now beginning to walk away as if it didn't care about our presence. And before we could shoot, someone else did. One of the backup units who found our patrol car and had followed us out into the woods. It screeched again, dropping the person in its arm and running into the woods. We were dumbfounded and petrified. Soon, I was able to turn around and look back at the officer who had fired. He was shaking. He wasn't blinking, he was horrified too, but more than we had been. The guy who had been dropped was on the ground and unconscious, but other than that, he appeared to be fine. We took him back to a patrol car and called an ambulance, The rest of us could not take our eyes off of the surrounding forest, even though nothing came of it after that. When the guy came to in the hospital, he immediately began to cry, asking where his daughter was. The thing is, I know what he's talking about, a missing person case in which the little girl had never been found. I don't know what we were dealing with that night, I don't know what happened to the man's poor family, but I will be staying away from those woods. 3. Ohio River Encounter by Jago. This story isn't my own, but it was told to my class in middle school by a local police officer. I live in Louisville, Kentucky, which is bordered by the Ohio River to the north. Our city is definitely not known for giant river monsters or anything like that, but the Ohio River is two things, deep and murky. The deepest part of the river is located in this area and can be over 100 feet deep. The officer that came to our school and spoke was part of one of those Don't Do Drugs campaigns, but one of the officers told us he was a former member of the underwater search and recovery unit. This obviously piqued my interest as well as many of the other classmates. The officer began to tell us plenty of stories, such as how they had recovered a car and when they opened the door, snakes poured out. Then he told a story of how he recovered multiple bodies. After a couple of stories, the teacher asked a question. I'm sure many of us were thinking, If you've experienced a snake nest and dead bodies, then what could have possibly made you quit diving? The officer got nervous and chuckled and then proceeded to tell us this story. He was on a team that was charged with recovering a car and driver that had sunk into the Ohio River. They got on the boat and headed out to the general area they calculated the river current would carry the vehicle and quickly began their dive. Nothing special about the dive so far. As they got to the bottom and began searching for the wreckage, the officer began looking around. But like I said earlier, the river is very murky, and so visibility was low. Using his hand to feel around, he made his way through the river when he started to feel something smooth and round. Something he described as larger than a dinner plate. This is when what was in front of him swam off. The officer described the entirety of the fish as the size of an SUV, and he assumed that what he had touched was actually the creature's eye. Judging by the size, he guessed the fish was large enough to swallow him whole. The officer returned to the boat as fast as possible and told those above him that he would never dive in the Ohio River again. Soon after, he put in for a transfer and got right out of the diving unit. Pretty crazy the river monsters aren't only found in some rainforests, they can be very close to home. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. on iOS and Android. 4. Arrest from Hell by DJ93 I am a police officer in Louisiana State, so much of the information given about identities and locations may be changed. I've worked on the force for six and a half years now, It's around the Lafayette area in Louisiana. My story takes place two years ago in mid-October. I got a report of a naked man running down the street from house to house banging on each door, waiting for someone to open. Now at this time, I was training a young deputy that just got out of the academy. His name was Jared. When we got out of the vehicle, we called into dispatch and let them know that we were on the scene. Being that Jared just got out of the academy and was training with me, I let him take the lead. While we were approaching the man, he was screaming words we didn't understand, and to this day we still don't think it was any actual language. Seeing this behavior before, we're already under the impression that he's on some hardcore drugs, maybe PCP or something, so we take our precautions. Once we reach the man, Jared tries speaking with him but he simply shouts at Jared and says no, and then whispers, I want to speak with him, and he pointed at me. I've been on the force for a couple of years now, so this might have been some guy I'd picked up before. Maybe he knew me and I just didn't remember. I agree to his request and I talk to him. Little did I know this moment right here is where the man would change my life forever. I start off by asking him what he's doing outside, running around naked like that. He replies with, The devil told me to. I have to find the good blood. Now, believe it or not, I've heard that story before. Not exactly the way he said it, but I've heard of people messed up on drugs wanting to speak to the devil. But there was something in his face that honestly looked like he believed it, beyond the drug-fueled rampage. So I asked him, what have you been taking tonight? Maybe some of that new legal that's been going around? Tried to have a little bit of fun? You overdid it, didn't you? He stops, looks up at me, and then looks down, and says, yours looks good. Now the guy is around 360 pounds and around the age of 35. I'm beginning to finger my gun in the holster. We already had plenty to arrest him, Before things got any more out of hand, I made the call to put him in handcuffs. He didn't put up a fight, and he came with us easily, but that didn't keep him from speaking more gibberish in the back seat to the station. When we arrived at the station, the booking deputies met us at the door. They took him in to do a cavity search, then they did the fingerprinting process. He asked when he was going to get his phone call, and the deputies said as soon as we're done... The guy goes quiet, until he gets his phone call. By this point, we learn his name is Clay, and this is where I start to get weirded out. Jared was asking him what phone number he would like to call. He gave him the number. On our caller ID, it showed up as private, but that's nothing new to us, though. As soon as someone answered the phone, my partner handed him the phone on the other side of the booth. He began by telling the person on the other side that he was locked up and he started speaking in that weird language again. It was weird, but while he was talking to the other person on the phone, he kept looking at me and smiling. He drew silent for a moment, figuring that the person was just talking to him and he was listening. Suddenly, he falls on his back and begins seizing up. Then I kid you not, before the officers could approach him, he begins to do this psychotic spider walk thing. The guy was completely crazy. He jumps up from off the floor and puts his hand against the glass right by my face, says something, and then knocks himself out by hitting his head on the glass. Two days pass and my partner and I are getting back to work. Jared asks me, "You remember that crazy naked dude, Clay I think? He bonded out yesterday morning." Jokingly I said to him we'll probably have to pick him up again soon repeat offenders are all too common the rest of the night was normal but when I got home after my shift that's when the crazy begins i got off around 6 a.m. i work nights so i get home at about 6:15 every day and today when i pulled up i noticed something weird in front of my doorstep i figured maybe my wife might have put something in front of the door Like a mat or something. When I got closer, I noticed it wasn't a mat. Instead, it was six dead birds formed in the shape of a triangle. And inside the triangle, I kid you not, was a chalice. I knew in my mind this had to be placed here by someone. But why? By who? Through the course of the next couple of days, things got weird. There was knocking on my door randomly. I told my wife to start carrying a gun just in case. There were plenty more dead birds as well. Someone began opening our mail and putting it at the doorstep. Then we found markings on our vehicles as well. But what came later will haunt my life for the rest of my days. It was November 13th, 5.30 p.m. My wife and I are going to visit my mom that lives in New Iberia. It's about a 35-minute drive, While visiting with my mom at around 7.48 p.m., I get a phone call from ADT, our security company. They're asking me if I entered my home, and if so, I need to give him the password. I said, no, we're not currently in the town. They said okay, and that they'll be calling the police. Knowing that I'm a police officer, they advised me that the left bathroom window was broken into, if it truly wasn't me at home. Knowing that... I called the captain on ship that night to find out who was going to basically be my backup for when I reach home. He replied Jared would be there. He needed the overtime anyway. I hang up the phone with the captain and call Jared on his private cell. He picks up, and I tell him, sounds like some screw broke into my house. He said, yeah, but don't worry. When I get there, he's in for some trouble. How long are you going to be? I told him I was on my way and that I'd meet him there. The rest of the story felt surreal to me, and I'm still shaken up by it. When I get to my house, there's more than one police cruiser in the driveway. A couple of officers meet me outside before I approach the door. I ask, ''Hey, uh, where's Jared?'' ''What's going on? Who broke into my house?'' They reply that they're still looking for the person who did this. But they don't let me approach my own home. They even said to me, If you've got a cigarette man, you might want to light it. Not knowing what they're talking about, I'm thinking this guy stole all my things or broke them. But none of that compares to what came out of their mouths next. A female officer put her hand on my shoulder and told me, Jared's gone. I don't remember my exact expression. I remember feeling confused and not knowing what I just heard. I asked her, What the heck did you just say? She says, Jared, he was shot in the back multiple times. And there was a note. I demanded immediately to see this note. I wanted to see Jared too, but forensics wouldn't let me. Same deal with the note but Christy had read it before they arrived, so she told me what it said. It read, Not the blood I needed. Right then I knew who it was who did this. My face turned pale, my hands got sweaty, and my eyes began to leak. That psycho druggie had broken my home and killed my partner. I couldn't stop wishing that I was the one who came home, not Jared. Five. Small Town Skinwalker by Dillman. A few months back, I was on a routine third shift. I work as a police officer in a very small town in Ohio. It is currently the middle of fall, I'm not going to say where, people can find it pretty easily. Anyway, I was on a night patrol, driving in my patrol car. On most nights, we are required to get out of our cruisers to check areas that our cruisers don't fit. There is a super long, almost two mile bike path we're supposed to walk down. One night, as usual, I got out and walked the path. Usually, we do this to make sure no one is hurt or overdosed. My flashlight was dimmed during the walk. I had forgotten to charge it that day. About a mile into the walk, I start to feel very strange. Not a typical gut feeling. A feeling that you know something is wrong or something is about to go wrong. Around that time, I began to hear leaves crunching. I turned in every direction, shining the fading light. My light is so dim, though, that it's hard to make out much of anything. I continue trying to get this walk over, and I start to speed up. But in doing so, I must have triggered something's instinct, because as I speed up, the breaking leaves got quicker, louder, and closer. I get to the point where I know something is definitely there, so I just stop and listen for about five minutes. I'm hoping to catch some kids playing a prank, or a fellow officer trying to get a laugh out of me, but nothing. The sound stopped when I stopped. I shone my light all around me. I slowly turned my light from tree to tree. Then I noticed something odd. I passed by it the first time. I show my light back in that direction that I noticed from earlier, and I did see something contrasting colors to the surroundings. There was something in that tree. I could see it up there, reflecting the light in its eyes. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. I've seen deer, wolves, and other animal eyes reflect the light like that, but nothing quite like this. I hesitated, almost drawing my firearm, but I stopped myself knowing that I could get myself in trouble if it really was just a kid. This thing. It took one step out from the tree it was hiding in, and I got the whole body view of it. The thing was covered in feathers, It was extremely tall and didn't appear to be completely human. But I did notice its hands were human-like. But the thing was covered in feathers. I didn't realize I was backing up. Thankfully, it never moved more than when it did earlier. I was frozen in fear, too scared to move after I stepped back a few times. But I snapped out of it. Suddenly, dispatch came on over the radio on my uniform snapping me out of my petrification. I started walking backwards again, very quickly now, not taking my eyes off of this thing. It felt like forever, but I finally got back out of those woods. My cruiser was in the clearing, and I bolted to it as fast as I could, not looking back, at least not until I got in the cruiser. By then, I was shining every light I had in its direction, but there was nothing Nothing but very odd, bird-like noises. I decided to ignore it altogether and get out of there. 6. A Policeman's Awful Story By Katie L. U. While on my way home from a recent hunting trip, I had quite a bit of time to talk with my buddy Benny was like a dad to me this man has truly lived an amazing life and gone through the good and the bad and the worst this story sadly is about the worst i asked him while we were driving home what was the worst thing he'd ever seen or perhaps the scariest he was silent for a moment thinking back through all the years and started telling me a story from back when he was a police officer He started off by saying how illegals near the border of Texas and Mexico would sleep on the train tracks because they believed that the rails of the tracks would prevent snakes from biting them. Well, one night, he got a call at the police station that two of these people had been run over due to sleeping on the tracks. When he arrived, he said it was the most disgusting thing he'd ever seen. Heads split in two, limbs off and mangled from their bodies. Splashes of red like a rustic painting. Bits and pieces stuck to the railroad. Those poor men had been killed in their sleep. When a female officer showed up, Binny told her not to look under the blanket. But she said that she had seen a lot in their time and it wouldn't bother her. And as soon as she lifted it up, she quickly stumbled off and vomited from the sight. Binny himself didn't sleep at all that night. And it took him weeks to get back to normal. Despite this incident, it wasn't the first time he had seen something that bad, but that's life. And in Benny's life, he's seen a lot, and he has many stories to share. Seven, my uncle was a police officer. By Big Boy 69. My uncle is an ex-Marine and ex-police officer. When my uncle was still a police officer for Dublin, Ohio, this was one of his creepiest experiences. One night, my uncle Tim and his partner Dave were working the third shift, and as they were driving around the slums of Dublin, they got a call about a domestic disturbance about a half mile up the road. When they get to the house, all the lights are off. My uncle and Dave are a little hesitant at first, but it's their job and they got onto it anyways. Now with my uncle's ex-marine body type and current police officer, he was a big guy, about six foot one and 225 pounds, so he was bulky. When they get into the house, it reeks of rotten meat and marijuana, and there's bottles and trash all over the place. They assume it's a crack den. Dave hears a creak coming from upstairs and says he'll check it out. My uncle nods. Dave proceeds up the stairs and my uncle stays downstairs searching and flips on the light switch for the kitchen. When the light came on, he saw a body with a heroin needle sticking out of the arm. My uncle reports it, saying he's going to need some help with this, but then there's a gunshot from upstairs and a blood-curdling scream coming from Dave. My uncle runs upstairs to find a dead body on the floor and a bloody Dave. There's a woman in the back corner screaming at him. Backup arrives and takes the two bodies out, and the surviving lady was interviewed. Turned out to be their landlord, and the reason she was there sent chills down their spines. They had drugged, beat, and assaulted her, and they kept posting pictures of her on some deep website, and people would pay to come over and assault her as well. The reason my uncle was called there was because the neighbors down the street heard screaming and yelling and loud bangs, so they called the cops. My uncle was still a police officer for a few more years after that. He says he should have quit right after that night, but something about saving that girl was reward enough. 8. Deputy Charged by the dog man, By Tyler After spending eight years in the Marines, I landed a job at the local sheriff department as a deputy in my home state. The first few months flew by. I was living life like the time before I joined the Marines. I was enjoying it. One night I got a call about a missing person and decided to look into it. I draw by the house and this older woman walks out with an old double barrel shotgun next to her hip. She says with a rude southern style voice, with a voice that sounds like a heavy smoker. About time y'all showed up. My husband been gone for almost two days now. Sorry ma'am, I got here as fast as I could, I replied, giving a smile and trying to be polite. She tells me her husband went out rabbit hunting the day before, and she was getting worried about him, and that it's not like him to be gone this long without contacting her. I proceeded to get her info and his info, then headed out to the location of this hunting area. On my way, I contacted Fish and Game and the station to see if they could send someone out to help me. It'd be best if we could find him before nightfall. They said okay and that they'd have someone out there with me soon. When I arrive, there is a deputy and a Fish and Game officer there waiting for me, next to the guy's truck. I get out and chat with the officers for a few minutes about what we're going to do. Then we head out. We follow what we believe to be the guy's tracks for about a half a mile. We come to an open field, and then we came across a dead deer that clearly had been shot out of season. So we're looking for a poacher, I see, the game warden says. Well, he's gonna get himself arrested or fined after we find him. I nod and laugh and look at the deer closer noticing that it's killing wound is on its neck and it looks more like bite marks than a bullet. Coyotes, the other deputy says. "Mm, Maybe, the game warden replies. After leaving the deer, we walk back into the woods and just a little down a hill. I see something stick out laying up next to a tree. I take a closer look. Well, there's our guy, I smile and make my way over to him. I see he's shaking and still has his gun in his hands, so I calmly call out, Sir, we're here to help you. He turns slowly, still shaking, then turns back around. I walk around the tree to look at him to see a horrible sight. The man's hunting dog looked like it had been half eaten. Did, did you do this? I asked. He says, no, no, sir, I ain't that desperate. Wolves, sir... Biggest wolves I've ever seen. We don't have wolves in Ohio, one of my partners say. The man nods his head quickly. I know we don't have wolves, sir. He stands up with the rest of his dog in his arms and completely forgets about his gun. Please get me out of here. When we make it back to the truck, we call the EMTs to pick up the guy. Me and my partners are talking about what may have happened to the dog. Then we hear this blood-curdling howl. We draw our guns, as the howling sounded like it came from the nearby woods. We hear movement, and then something bursts out of the bushes. Something starts charging towards us-a big shadow of a creature. There's snarling and anger in it. We fire, and less than a second later, there's a loud yelp as the thing turns around and runs back into the forest. We need to go after it, says the game warden. Did you see how big that was? There's no way I'm going after it, I tell him. We stay around for only as long as we have to. The ambulance takes the man, and we go back to the station, the deputy and I. You couldn't pay us enough to stay out there, let alone go hunting for something that monstrous. I don't know what it was, but I'm glad the man was alive, and we were able to help. 9. A Police Officer's Paranormal Experience by James B. This story is from an older episode, but it was a good one that I'd like to share with you again, for those who may not have heard it. There's background music in this one. I wasn't able to find it without the music, but still, it's a great story. So, enjoy. I live in South Central Kentucky, and I had always wanted to become a police officer. After going through the application process and the training, I was fortunate enough to be hired. Right off the bat, the sheriff told me that I should start getting used to staying up all night because I was going to be starting in two weeks, starting the night shift, that is. My best friend and I decided to go out and drive around all night on the rural back roads to get some practice in before the big day. Not to mention I really needed to learn the roads as best I could before I started working. It was the first week of November and it was pretty cold out. The night sky was clear and there was a bright full moon above us. We were traveling on a narrow back country road out in the middle of nowhere and it must have been close to three in the morning. I came up on a long straight stretch and I noticed what looked to be a person right in the middle of the road in the distance. This was really strange because there were no houses anywhere close and it was extremely cold out, like I said, not to mention it was really late. My friend Eric asked what we should do in this situation. Do you think something is wrong with this person? He said. I looked at my cell phone and noticed that I had no signal way out here. Even still, we kept getting closer to this person and as we did, we noticed that it was a woman wearing a white dress. Immediately, I assumed that she was either drunk, high, or something had to be bad wrong with her. Maybe she was hurt. Maybe she had a mental condition. I didn't know. I told Eric that we could give her a ride and get her some help if she needed it, but we simply couldn't leave her out here alone. We approached, and when we got within approximately 100 feet of the girl, we noticed that she was walking like she was either crippled or just really drunk. I began to feel more worried as we approached her, and soon I began to expect the worst. But before we could approach any further, Eric screamed right in my ear. Holy shit, she doesn't have any fucking legs. I thought he was joking with me, which this definitely wasn't the time for that. But even if it sounded crazy, I looked over to the girl, and I could not believe what I saw. He wasn't lying. The girl didn't have legs she wasn't walking strange she was floating i'd never believed in ghosts in my life i thought that only crazy people actually believed in them so we both sat there silent and in shock i stopped the car as we watched her walk away from us or better yet float away with her back towards us we were both just freaking out in the car at this point my headlights were on bright and I had a powerful spotlight aimed on her. We realized that my lights were going through her body and shining on the forest ahead of her. She was translucent. I made the decision to slowly drive past her. I could never shake the thought that this was a bad idea altogether, but I continued to drive anyway. As we went beside her, she was only three feet from the side of the car. Eric had brought a gun, He now had it unholstered and laid in his lap at the ready as we passed by. Her dress was tattered and torn, and the dress and her legs both ended at her knees. She had her head down, and we could not see her face because of her long black hair being in the way. Every second I looked at her, chills filled my body, and I felt goosebumps envelop me. We continued to pass her, and when we were about 25 feet in front of her, I told Eric to keep his eyes on the girl. As I pulled off the road to turn around, there was a sharp curve ahead and I took my eyes off of her to make sure no cars were coming, that we were okay to turn. But the moment I looked away, Eric was freaking out so badly. He had taken his eyes off of her for a second and when he looked back in her direction, the girl was gone. What, I said. I pulled back out onto the road and I now faced her direction. But she wasn't there anymore. She was somehow gone, as if she had vanished. The two of us got out of the car and began to look along the ditch line with my spotlight. Even if she had ran as fast as a freaking cheetah, there was no way she could have made it to the edge of the woods, which were about 500 feet away. We drove up and down the road a few more times, but this girl was gone. She really had vanished, we decided it was time to call it a night. We headed home, processing what we had just seen. A little over two years ago, while I was working night shift, I went into the local gas station to get a cup of coffee. I noticed a few older men were sitting in the back of the station. They were looking at a book and talking about ghosts in the area. I walked over and I saw that they were looking at a book that had to do with the paranormal happenings in Kentucky. They were talking about the ghost from Red Hill Road. This really caught my attention because that was the road that I had my sighting on years ago. As the man holding the book and I began to talk, he told me that this woman had been murdered by her sister on her wedding day because her sister was jealous of her and she wanted to marry her sister's fiance. The girl was stabbed over 50 times with a large kitchen knife. Perhaps this explains why we saw the girl with the wedding dress and maybe why her dress was all torn and tattered. Even though I had a witness years ago, it felt good to know that other people had sighted her in the past 100 years. Eric and I were not the only ones. One of the men in the group at the store gave me his wife's phone number. He told me to call and talk to her about my sighting because she had also seen her back in the mid 70s I did end up talking to her and she described the ghostly woman exactly as I saw her. Nowadays, I firmly believe in ghosts and I always will because I witnessed it myself with my own two eyes. I have told people this story from time to time and I'm always thinking that maybe, maybe other people don't believe because they hadn't seen something themselves. As for me, I'll be on my deathbed, and I'll still swear on everything that I love, that this was real, and if there was any way possible for me to prove it, I would. Thank you for listening. And 10. My First Week as an Officer by Cody W. I remember my first week on the force all too well. I'm not talking about training. I'm talking about the week I was finally able to get in a patrol car. I had to drive around with a partner for a while, which was fine with me, as I was pretty nervous, to be honest. I handed out mostly warnings that week, but each time I issued a ticket, I felt more nervous than usual. I mean, I've seen the YouTube videos of people going absolutely nutso on an officer, because how dare he reprimand you for breaking the law. Luckily, most people were calm. Most people knew and openly admitted that they had done wrong. It was a relief and made me think that I was going to enjoy this job. But then came that day. It was a Friday afternoon. People were getting off work and speeding to cash their checks at the banks before they closed, or speeding to get in line first before getting behind everyone else. This led to me tailing an old 82 Chevy pickup that had been going 60 down a 45. He was heading into town, and I had assumed the usual, another racer off to cash a paycheck. But by the time I caught up to him, he was taking a side road out of city limits leading my partner and I down a dirt road. I turned on the lights as soon as we turned down the road, but the vehicle didn't slow down, not for at least another two minutes of driving. I figured the road was narrow and they were trying to find somewhere safe to pull over. Eventually, they did. They pulled into an even more narrow path that looked more like a hiking trail. Then they stopped maybe 30 yards in. When we stopped, I noted just how closed off the area was and I was ready to defend myself if need be. My partner stayed in the car, letting me know he'd be watching and would be on the guy in seconds if anything got fishy. I got out and began to approach the truck. When I made it within five yards of the driver window, I was startled. The driver's hand kind of fell out of the window and smacked against the side of the car. Maybe he was relaxing, or maybe he was just trying to show me he was angry and didn't have time for my speeding ticket. I made it to the window, then looked inside. The next thing I did was nearly fall over backwards and shout, What the... Because the guy was dead. Freshly dead. There was a gash in his throat and a knife in it. He must have done it seconds after we had stopped. Chills flooded my body and I found myself groping my holster. My partner was already a few feet from me, gun aimed toward the truck. What's going on? he asked. It's... he's dead. killed himself, I replied with a stutter. My partner reported it to dispatch, and I quickly scanned the truck bed. All I found back there was a trash bag. Upon touching it, it felt and sounded like there were gallons of water in it, but I was petrified. After seeing that mess in the front seat, I was afraid to see what might be in this bag, but my curiosity got the better of me. I untied it slowly, and it spilled open. Clear, odorless liquid... Poured over the truck bed. It was just water. I sighed in relief. Just a trash bag. Probably got rained on or in or something. Then I saw the hair. My partner had to handle the rest. I was tossing up my lunch in the bushes. The guy had killed his daughter and bagged up her body. Why there was water in the bag I have no idea. He was on his way to bury her and having been pulled over, he took his own life. We never figured out why he did it. It was a tragedy, and I got to be the one to stumble upon it. I'm still a police officer, and therapy has helped, but nothing brings you right back down to earth than stumbling upon something disgusting like that. I want to give a deep and sincere thank you to all our boys in blue who maintain our society, protect us, and keep the bad guys locked up. It's a tough job, and quite obviously it can be an extremely scary one, but someone's got to do it. Stay safe out there, guys, and keep on keeping on. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. Don't forget... You can send me your scary stories at darknessprevails.org slash submit. Think about donating one buck a month to my Patreon at patreon.com darknessprevails to get your name in the credits at the end of these videos or go to morbidmonsters.com to get some creepy cold merch. Heck, you might even see that shop button below the video and all you gotta do is click that. I'm gonna have to skip the comments on this one, guys. I'm going on a trip down to Texas with family and this video was way longer than I thought it would be. So I hope you enjoyed the stories, but I can't wait to see you again for more creepy tales. Here are the credits to my patrons, who continue to donate, and are just generally badass people. Until next time, guys, this world is a strange one, so stay safe out there, and stay creepy.